Welcome back to another episode of Just Two Dads with my co-host, Sean Francis. I am Brian Altunian, and today we've got a very special guest, a bilingual IEP advocate. If you know what IEP is, this is a good opportunity for you to learn all of the ins and outs of an IEP and what it means, and uh, looking forward to our lively conversation. It's going to be amazing, folks, today on Just Two Dads. Welcome, everybody. Uh, thank you for those of you tuning in live on, on Facebook. Please enter your comments and you know let us know if we, I think we're going to strike a chord. I just have a feeling we're going to strike a chord today. Uh, this is a conversation that's necessary. And uh, anybody who has a, has a child in, in school with uh, uh, needing an individualized educational program, this is going to be a conversation that you're going to want to know all about, and you're going to learn some great things. So please enter um, comments. If you're catching us after the fact on our YouTube channel, please subscribe and, you know, again, leave us message, leave us comments. We, we try to respond to everybody. Uh, you can hear us live on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere the podcast outlets. And starting, uh, well, now we're on WSTX Radio, also in the U.S. Virgin Islands. I don't want to forget our family down in the U.S. Virgin Islands. And starting next month, we're going to be streaming out to a Roku channel from Powered Media. It's going to be an amazing thing. So this episode is going to be on empower media communication. So very excited uh, to share this with our, our, our goal, Sean and I, uh, we set out to begin this conversation. He and I've been in this conversation for about five years, but about a year ago, we thought we're having so many interesting conversations with folks who have family members on the special needs in the special needs community that we're, we've not seen any place where two dads just get together and have a conversation from a dad's perspective. And so we decided to do this podcast and, um, and shine a spotlight on the amazing warriors. And we call them warriors. And we truly believe they are warriors uh, who are doing great things, who, who have taken their own experience from their family and they've turned it into an opportunity a business. And more importantly, they've reached out and made, um, made themselves available to a broader community. So our goal is to weave that network of folks who are serving the special needs community um, and it's our honor and our, our thrill to be able to do that. And so uh, we welcome you all. Thank you. Please participate. Please comment. And before we get to our special guest, this is going to be amazing. Uh, <laughs> let's say uh, hello to Sean Francis, my partner in Thrive. How are you, my friend? I am thankful, blessed, and grateful. And I'm also anxious to get right into it. Uh, do it. Let's go ahead and, and welcome our guest today, Sandy Sintero. Sandy, welcome. Thank you, gentlemen, so much. Thank you all for having me on here. And I'm looking forward to our conversation. This is going to be great. Yes, 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 it is. We're looking forward to it, too. So let's start. We generally, as you know, Brian said, that we view those that are um, representing their families and their kids and fighting the fight as warriors and as heroes. And every warrior or hero has uh, an origin, regardless of whatever their power might be. And at the same time, People probably wonder how does one become an IEP coach? What does what is an IEP? You know, most of the audience listening is probably very familiar with what that is. But before we get into that, why don't we start by telling us a little bit about you, your journey into the special needs community, and what led you to um, become an IEP coach? How you grew up, where you're from, and all that great stuff. All the good stuff. So where should I begin? <laughs> uh, with um, where you're from, in terms of not just geographically, but where you're from in right. terms of your, your family and the values that have been instilled in you. Absolutely. So I'm a first generation Cuban American. I'm born and raised in Miami. Uh, mm -hmm. My parents, my family still lives down there. I'm actually currently in Tampa, Florida right oh, now. Okay. 
And, you know, my parents always instilled in us the idea of service and the idea we're always, they were always very involved in our local church and giving back to our community and, you know, helping out at the food pantry and the St. Vincent de Paul society and, you know, that sort of thing. And I, I attribute that to my dad because that was, that's his personality. And I think I inherited a little bit of that from my him. grandfather was born in Havana as well. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I think we talked about that briefly. Yes. Yep. Yep. And so, you know, I grew up fully bilingual and, and, you know, learning Spanish right along with English. So I'm fluent in Spanish. And over the years, you know, my husband and I got married and we've Air Force kind of bounced us around uh, the U.S. a little bit. And we settled here in Tampa. And I started out as the stay at home mom with a couple of kids. And, you know, you think you have a certain perspective and a certain ideal once you start embarking on having a family of the way that things are going to go, the way that you hope things are going to go. And over time, you start realizing that life has other plans for you sometimes. And our son, Will, who is now 23 years old, he was, um, ever since he was little, he was just a really bright, sparky little guy. But I noticed that there was a couple of little things that just didn't seem right. And when we were hanging out with friends, he wanted to go off and play by himself. He didn't want to play with the other kids. He would line up his uh, all his toys in a row. Um, just, you know, little things like that that just didn't quite add up. And so we. How old was he when you noticed that? I didn't mean to interrupt that, About three. Oh, OK. Yeah. So early. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So he was young. But at the same time, you know, you, you wonder whether or not there is something going on. But then at the same time, he has such a phenomenal vocabulary where he could tell you, because he's obsessed with animals, the differences between monkeys and apes and the monkeys had a prehensile tail. I had no idea what the word prehensile even meant. And, but he picked <laughs> that up from a video, you know? And so when we started going down the route of having the different evaluations done, the first doctor we went to said, oh, He's ADD, ADHD. Here's your prescription. I was like, mm, wow, that's not quite right. That's not quite right. And so we persisted. He started school. And again, things just started to, to not add up the lack of the organizational skills and the executive functioning skills and things. And ultimately, we got the diagnosis when he was six. So just about hitting first grade was when we received the diagnosis that he was, in fact, on the autism spectrum. And it's evolved so much over time that, you know, it used to be called Asperger's syndrome. I guess now it would be level one autism. Okay. And so that's, that was my entree into the world of special needs and the world of, you know, special education and what my child would need to be successful in school. And you have more than, more than one will, right? You have another. Right. Four. Will's my elder, our eldest. He's 23. And then our daughter, Gabby is 19. She's going to be 20 here pretty soon. Yeah. I have a, I have a Gabby as well. So that's awesome. Ah, wow. Um, uh, so that's so, and so Gabby's going to be 19. So four years, it's four years apart. And does yeah. Gabby uh, have special? Uh, no, no. Gabby's neurotypical. And she was always, you know, the straight A student, high achieving. She did have a 504 plan. And I'll go into that in a little bit going through school because of like, you know, anxiety and maybe a few of the ADD traits. But yeah, she was always, you know, neurotypical and fiercely protective of her brother. It's always the way it is. Um, that's that's fantastic. Um, so did so 
So then when was your first experience with a with an IEP? How old was Will at the time? Was he he was so he was six in the first grade. First grade, first grade. And for those that are not that are watching and that aren't 100% familiar with it, when the student has a learning disability or they're struggling in school or they have a formal diagnosis of some kind and it's impacting them in school, they're entitled to supports and services from the school setting and from the public school system. And as Brian mentioned, an IEP is an individual education plan that's tailored and with services to meet their needs. So we started having that conversation with the teachers like, okay, what does he need? Does he need occupational therapy? And you're going to love this one at our eligibility meeting when we after doing all the evaluations and determining whether he qualified for these services, there's 13 specific categories or areas under which a student could qualify for an IEP, autism being one of them. Mm -hmm. And we were told that he was not messed up enough <laughs> to qualify for an IEP under the eligibility category of autism crazy yeah. crazy right. yeah that was that was that that's the moment that i thank god my husband was there with me because he held me from like flying across the table <laughs> so and that's and that's and, and then so that's 17 years ago right and right. so you'll talk i mean obviously one of the first questions i have and i want you to keep going here but the first question i have is has that has that changed have we have we step have we have we evolved from that at least in the process Yes, yes and no. Um, the process is still, it's always, you know, needs tweaking and, and it's evolved over time. What ended up happening in that specific situation is that the staffing specialist from the district, she thought that she was being collegial with me. She thought that, oh, you know, we've kind of developed a little bit of a rapport. So she made that statement as an offhand comment. Yeah, that was he supposed to be a joke. It as was supposed to be a joke, but it fell very flat. Right, right, right. That's or just maybe to try to make you feel better. Hey, you know, he's not so, you know, deeply affected. He's not really messed up enough. Maybe. Right. But, uh, but yeah. to say, but what, and the reason why she said that is because for each of those areas of eligibility, there are specific criteria that need to be met. So even though it is a fact that he has a diagnosis of autism, there are specific checkboxes going down that eligibility list that he did not meet. He ended up being eligible under a different area of eligibility, which is called other health impairment, which is kind of like a broad umbrella category where the, whatever the diagnosis is, it's resulting in reduced efficiency at school. So it's a little more forgiving and a little easier to qualify for. And so that was how he was able to qualify for the IEP. But it's that ideal where the people in the school district and the people in the system, they're, they're used to doing this and they kind of go on autopilot. And sometimes they may not realize the impact that their words have. And they may not realize that a parent like myself that just sat at the table doing this for the first time, we don't know the terminology. We don't know all the, the ins and outs of this. And that's when I realized that I didn't know what I didn't know. And I needed, I was not comfortable with that. And I needed to dive in and learn more. Interesting. And did you have an advocate with you at the time? It was just you and I did not because I didn't know that was such a thing. I didn't know I need, it was such a thing, A or B, that I even needed one. So yes. yeah, that came later. <laughs> okay. Okay, good. And did you feel, let me ask you this, looking back now, um, did you feel that you got 
all of the services that, you know, that will needed to be successful? Did you, did they at least provide you with the support that, that he needed to be successful? He definitely, we were very, very fortunate that our school district, the staff was highly qualified. And again, I had a good relationship with the staff at the school and I ended up learning a lot from them as I went along. And I do feel like he got a lot of the services. He got a lot of the help that he needed and he was successful all throughout his, his school career, but he had his struggles. And now as you know, with the, the lens of an advocate that has been working professionally in this field now for six years, helping families like myself at that time that are in the position that I was, you know, 17 years ago, I'm realizing that there were a couple things that were missed and not that they did it on purpose or not that they were being negligent, but a couple things were overlooked that he probably would have qualified for and should have qualified for back in that time. That's funny you say that. I was wondering just the other day. I was, and I think it came about from our conversation as we connected. I was wondering, you know, we we try to be there for parents that are new to a diagnosis, whether it's autism, whatever the case may be, and sort of guiding people through the maze that we've been through. And I wonder, I wonder what we missed when Elijah was you know, back when he was four or five or three at the time of diagnosis. And I guess that is unavoidable. Yeah. Hindsight's twenty twenty. you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I would, Jordan asked a great question. So my daughter, Joe's on the phone. And I think I mentioned before we went live, uh, Joe had an IEP growing up and she is now a special needs teacher in the Amsterdam school district in New York. So we know that every state is different. Where did where did Will go to school when when you when you encountered this? Where where were you guys? Here in Florida, in Tampa. Here in Florida, yep. and is Florida is is that is the Florida school system? Is it? I mean, we're in California, so in California, it's very progressive. It's very you know, <laughs> I say forward thinking, but I think some parents who have been through it probably <laughs> would disagree with me. But yes. but is Florida? I mean, New York and California seem to have a pretty you know pretty advanced uh, process as far as providing services for children. Is Florida the same way or is? Sadly, no. Florida lacks lags behind. And I cannot remember the statistic off the top of my head, but I want to say something like 24th in um, wow. funding for special education. Um, I could be wrong, but I want to say that that was a statistic that I read somewhere not long ago. Uh, again, we were lucky that because of my involvement, I think part of had something to do with it in the school and, and my tenacity and, and willingness to, to not take no for an answer that helped. But I do, I, I work, not only do I support families and work with families here in, in locally in Tampa and in Florida, but also nationwide. And so I've had a few clients from New York and, and uh, Texas and, and actually in, in California as well. And I've seen, so I've seen IEPs from different areas in the country and it's the funding from the education dollars that and the disbursement of it that needs a lot of work. There's always tweaking that can happen. At the same time, I'm on a lot of like Facebook message boards and things and parent groups. And oftentimes I'll see messages from parents that are saying, oh, I'm moving to Florida soon. I'm leaving New York. I need to, what school district do you all recommend? And the inundation of comments of don't do it. Don't move to Florida. Don't do it. It's terrible here. <laughs> it breaks, it breaks my heart because 
I love my state. I love my state. I love my community. I love our school district, but every place has its faults right. and has room for improvement. And a huge part of it is there, there are some districts that are a little more uh, amenable than others to, to work with them. But at the end of the day, I think that it usually comes down to open lines of communication and collaboration with the school team where you can really meet eye to eye and figure out what's what the child actually is eligible for and mm -hmm. what they need to be successful. Great, great. I want to touch on then. So there's several things that kind of want to go into, which is, so your child is diagnosed, there's an IEP that's in place. Tell us what is it that caused you, because you mentioned serving clients, different parts of the country, what then causes you to become an IEP coach? And then how does one do that? Not that we're trying to create competition <laughs> for your business. Yeah. But Not at all. Really, I, I was going to say, what did you do professionally before and then and now? So interestingly enough, my career field was travel and tourism management. So education was not what I originally set out to do in life. That's my mom's field. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Um, honestly, I started to... to I did the stay-at-home mom thing for a while and learning about, you know, the, all the different um, websites out there, like the rights law books and, and understood.org. And over time, once um, I, I ended up working as a paraprofessional in the schools with my kids, where my kids were, and as a school librarian, ultimately. Mm -hmm. And while I was the librarian at the school where my kids were going, um, to because the staff knew me and knew my history with my son and, and how involved I was in the IEP process, they would start bringing me in to the meetings to translate for the Spanish speaking families. Interesting. And for those of you out there that are watching, if English is not your first language, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's Spanish, you know, Creole, French, German, you know, Portuguese, any, whatever your native language is, you're entitled to have an interpreter at that IEP table and the district should provide one for you. Mm -hmm. So the school knew that I spoke, I, I spoke IEP and I spoke Spanish fluently. Two totally so, different languages, yes. Exactly. And, and so, isn't that the biggest problem, that most right. people don't know what they're entitled to? I'm sorry, go right. ahead. And so I would come in and translate for the families. And at one point the, the principal at the school said, you know, you realize you miss your calling in life, right? Because this is what you should be doing. And I found a course and there are several out there. I ended up working with a private company um, for about five years. And then in the last year, I decided I wanted to do something different. I wanted to switch things up a little bit. And of course, you know, the pandemic just kind of threw everything on its head and the yeah. world of special education came crashing down everybody's ears when having to go to online learning and digital learning. And I locked into the um, master IEP coach mentorship. And that was a revelation for me because not only it was it providing me the tools that I needed to, and the encouragement to go off and do this for myself as an independent advocate, but it's a network of, of people that I can collaborate with, that I can share, that I can learn from. And it's the minds, it was the the switch of that mindset of from going from the angry advocate to the person that that wants to be, you know, a solution finder and a team builder at that table. And that's not to say that sadly there are moments when things do become contentious um, between teams, but it's not my default to, you know, 
go to, to the mattresses, so to speak. Yeah. You know, I always try to work collaboratively and I encourage the families that I work with, like, let's see, you know, what can we do? Let's let's communicate in advance. Let's let them know these are the, our thoughts. You know, if this is a no from them, then show me the policy. Demonstrate to me why. What's your data to support that no that you're telling? I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you that, and we and we had a, a great comment from one of our from one of our our viewers saying from Sadie saying, you know, it all depends on individual school districts for sure, right? And some right. districts have better teams. But for people who don't know or have not been through the experience, when you say it can get contentious, like I, I know for people who haven't had experience, the thought of, wait a minute, parents are just trying to get some support for their child. How could a conversation like that get contentious? Can you talk about that elaborate? Like why would why would that conversation create that kind of a so I can give you a an example that just happened within, you know, the last year where a family moved here from out of state. And their child used to have occupational therapy in, on their IEP. Now, the IEP happened to lapse by mm. the time that they got here. So, and, the, and they homeschooled for a little while. So then once they approached the, the school district and decided to enroll the student here in Florida, then they had to, they take basically the old IEP and, and and state it and transfer it over to Florida. And then they needed to determine, okay, before we look at this, you know, whether or not this student is supposed to, or still needs these services and mm -hmm. they should be receiving comparable services until such time as all those evaluations are done. But then there was a discussion and, and a little bit of back and forth where the school team did not meet eye to eye with the parents. And we're saying, well, no, we're not seeing a need for occupational therapy. She can write, she can, you know, keep, take notes. Is it beautiful handwriting? No, but, and the parents are saying, but we're seeing these gaps. We're seeing that she's inverting letters. We're seeing, you know, the, the, so there was a lot of back and forth like that. And like I said, sometimes it can become contentious when a team feels that they have the data to support that the student does not meet eligibility or does not require this service, but right. the parent still feels my child is struggling and I think that they need this. Right. And is it, is it, be, is it because that there's, there's no real, I want to say there's a national standard, but there's no real standard, right? So what's, what's, what's approved for in one school district or one state may not have the same level of, right? Is there no standard that, so that there is. translates? So it does, there are certain, things that do vary from district to district, but ironically, you, you bring that up and that gives me a perfect opportunity to explain. There's something called, IEPs are guided and governed under IDEA law, the Individuals with Disabilities in Education Act. Mm -hmm. And I will preface this by saying, I'm not a lawyer. I don't play one on TV. <laughs> I am not offering legal advice. I am not practicing law. I just know where to look for the information and I could tell you where to look but there are specific standards um, that are put forth under IDEA rules and, and regulations of, of the eligibility criteria and, and the way that this, um, it's the provisions for a free and appropriate public education is what every student is entitled to under IE, IDEA. Mm -hmm. They're entitled to a free and appropriate public education. Now that's where the, the gray area comes in is what one person deems as appropriate, someone else may not deem as appropriate. Right. But the other half of that is the part that I've just recently dove into in the last year, which has been eye-opening to me, is when you read the purposes and findings mm 
of IDEA law, it's to provide the student with a free and appropriate public education to help prepare them for further education, employment, and independent living. So it's there, you gotta look. So it's there, you gotta look. And there are procedural safeguards that the parents, their rights that they're entitled to. Mm -hmm. But so it's like a 20 page document that looks like stereo instructions when they get it. <laughs> it's funny we're having this conversation because each of us knows so many people and I don't know if it's, if it's if it's happened more in the pandemic or just people seem to be posting it more on social media about families packing up and moving to other states, you know, for, you know, job opportunities or, you know, uh, wh whatever the case might be. And I've never once thought, how does an IEP translate from state to state? So on paper, because of IDEA, it is supposed to be very um, uniform and standardized, but human beings being the amazing creatures that we are. <laughs> I always say never, never put it past, never underestimate a human being's ability to do something great, whether it's for good or bad. And I, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying no. that people in the school districts intentionally want to do right. bad, but everybody's so busy being in their own shoes that it sounds like no matter how standardized, standardized it is, one can invariably run into difficulties going from one state to another, even in a case where the IEP does not expire. Right. Right. And then you'll hear oftentimes the default answer of we don't do that here. Like mm. that's not, we don't provide that here. And that's where advocates step in. And I, master IEP coaches like myself, this is where the parents come to us and they because they need help and they don't understand. I know what it is that I want for my child, but somehow the, the communication is broken down between myself and the school. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes it's, I get along great with the school, but I just want to make sure that all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. Can you sit with me shoulder to shoulder and make sure that things, everything is, you know, going the way it should be. One of the beauties of that IEP is the letter I. It is an individual education plan. So just as there are no two autistic individuals alike, there are no two students alike. No two IEPs should be alike. That plan is supposed to be written individually to reflect what that individual student's needs are. Let me ask you a, a question. You, you you mentioned the pandemic, and I don't want to take this too far off track here, but the impact of the pandemic on, on everybody's mental health over the last 20 months, 24 mm -hmm. months, however long it's been now, um, 20 months, I'd say, uh, for those families who have children with IEPs and have, you know, educational issues and and, and seeing, again, limitations of, of schools to do in-person learning and how like what have you seen over the last you know since the pandemic started last year um has it been more difficult has it been easier for you to get in front because now we can do things on zoom like talk about that a little bit if you don't mind yeah so the the vast majority of my meetings this year were all done via zoom which did make it a little bit easier for my out-of-state clients because it used to be that it was usually done via conference call and it's just so much easier now with uh, zoom to be able to see the documents you know pop up on your screen there and have everyone participating virtually but honestly the world of special the world of education period what regardless of it being special education or your general education setting has turned upside down this past year yeah. and there has there have been some children that thrived that enjoyed the digital format and did well but more often than not 
even general education kids have struggled because that's not what they're used to. And the teachers, bless their hearts, they have struggled tremendously. The teachers that like, for example, here in, in my local district, they went to um, in person and like hybrid pretty much from the word go. Okay. And a lot of the teachers had, let's say if it was a class of 20 kids, half of their kids were coming in person masked up, but half were online. So they were doing both simultaneously having wow. to deal with the cameras and the zoom and who was logging on and who was logging in late while they were doing the lesson midway. So the disruption has been, you know, the, there's an incalculable, incalculable um, effect on, on students. You've seen uh, not only it is calculable when you look at their grades and, and if it's impacted them that way, but the social emotional yeah. impact is one that we have not yet to begun seeing what the long-term effect is. There, there are some effects right now, but this is going to be dragging on for a while. For sure. We think so too. We do. I'm just curious if you, if you yeah. saw that and, and do, do you feel that your, that your special needs clients, um, and again, you've sort of said it, but really struggled in, in such a way that they've actually, they've, they've gone, they've receded at all. Regressed. They've, gone they've regressed. regressed. Absolutely. I have many clients that regressed um, tremendously. My own son regressed uh, mm. quite a bit. He was doing a couple of college classes and when they went to online, that was just not for him. Yeah. And a lot of kids that struggle with, again, going back to the social emotional aspect, they need that connection and it impacts them if they're struggling with communication needs. It impacts them if they're struggling with reading and they're trying to hear the articulation from the teacher and they're you know not able to really focus or, or those that you know struggle to attend to task and, and focus anyway and trying to be on task and paying attention on the computer screen. It's, it's been a struggle. That's what I thought. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, we so did, um, yeah. we did, I think right when everything really hit, we did an episode on it. And I, and I, at that time had said, you know, I'll be honest for me, not driving kids around and everything. If I look at it from my own perspective, I can say, gosh, it's just great. It's convenient. And the effect on our kids was, you know, gradual for the neurotypical kids uh, and um, uh, Elijah. And in his case, he likes being in school. I don't know mm -hmm. if he likes necessarily physically getting up and going to school. Right. Like if he could snap his fingers and be dressed and go, that'd be great. And he got to the point where he just begged um, tearfully to go. You know, like, mm. you know, and it was, his, it was his first year of high school this past year. Oh. And so when we got towards the end of the year and then into summer school where it was, um, it was hybrid, he was just, it meant everything to him. And I, and like you said, I think we're, we're going to find out after the fact, because it's also going to be interesting to see how much of a hybrid we're going to be able to retain, which is a whole nother conversation altogether. But, right. you know, I saw somebody post earlier on social media saying, I predict that by the time school all the schools open in September, we're going to be back to full on uh, virtual. And I was, and it was the type of thing where I was like, I could see that happening. I, you yeah. know, I, I, I don't know. Yep. Yeah. And you know, it depends. And that's one of the things that I always try to, to dial into when I see on, on Facebook that our local school board is having their meeting talking about all these different things or in other areas that I work 
uh, that I work in because I've got families that live in, in those particular districts. I start trying to look up on, on their school board websites to see what are they doing so that I can kind of steal myself and, and mentally prepare myself for, for what's to come. But another thing that's important to note is that the Department of Education for the whole U.S., not just state by state, the whole DOE did state last year that COVID, there, were, there was no waiver of IDEA because of COVID. So what that meant was, for example, if your child was entitled to, let's say, 30 minutes a week of speech language services, just because they were not going to school in person, they needed to still receive those services, whether it was virtually or you came to a, a meeting of the minds with the school team of that the district was going to pay for it privately or you know whatever it was. They needed to make a reasonable effort to provide that service. So then you've got schools where teachers are either sick and they're home with or, or quarantining or teachers that took and or service providers that took early retirement. And so positions were vacant. Mm. And so there were students that went without services for a while. Mm -hmm. If you weren't paying attention to that, though, that needed to be made up. You, you were entitled to request to have those services, any services that were missed, as long as your child was still attending virtually, if they were not actively like, if they were home on quarantine, if they were not actively sick and not logging in, if they were attending virtually, they, they should still have received those services. Interesting. Right. Yeah, Interesting. Wow. Well, good for the DOE for making sure that these, you know, these services yeah. stayed intact again with not much else under, you know, in, in an area where they can control the very right least to keep those standards in place is a significant, right. significant contribution to families. That's fantastic. Did you see a big difference between, um, and, this complete ignorance on my um, my questioning this difference between your Spanish speaking clients and non Spanish speaking clients is there a difference in yes and no yes and no a lot of the Spanish speaking community and I had a brief conversation with Sean about this they're very underserved in this area because yeah. they yeah. don't know it's kind of the same scenario where they don't know what it is that they don't know but yeah. they're also hesitant to ask. So they're they're very the 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 Hispanic community, Latin community, the minority community, a lot of them just do not feel comfortable putting themselves out there. There's and an element of trust that's missing. There's an element of trust that's missing. And you know, I I've got a couple of clients that did have, for example, a district person translate for them at the meeting. And they called me and they said, No, I I think I'd rather have you there with me on my side because I know enough of English to know that they didn't tell me everything that was being said, or mm -hmm. they didn't translate to the team everything that I said. So I feel That's like I missed yeah. out on something. Interesting. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Like, and we experienced the same thing in um, in financial services when it comes to you know the the just the cultural differences um, mm -hmm. in and historically in terms of just sometimes being open to to conversation and then again what you don't know and not knowing what it is that you don't, that you don't know. That's why right. no matter what the topic is, sharing information is so powerful. That's why we're, you know, we, we're so thankful to be able to have this platform to do what we can to change that. Yeah. And in fact, I was just going to say, Sandy, sorry, Sean, I just jumped right in. No, go ahead. I was done. Give a chance to respond, Sandy. I'm just going mm, to jump right in. <laughs> um, but, but because it, it seems like there's an opportunity for you to, 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 you know, blast out what you, what is that you're doing 
and make sure that people know how to get a hold of you. I'm putting up your website up on, on the screen right now, but oh, thank you. are yeah. you doing, is there something that you're, are you doing anything in particular? Or is there a pro proactive way that you're getting out word out so that people know that they should be reaching out to you in every community, by the way, that, that you serve? Absolutely. So I've, I've learned in the past year, the power of social media and the need to, to just be out there. But I've also, you know, tied into some phenomenal organizations that I've been a part of um, a local organization here in the Tampa area called 21 and change that they primarily it's more geared towards the down syndrome community, but they also, they they're just available to those that are with children with special needs, regardless. Um, and I work closely with them and I just did a couple of uh, webinars for them last week. One uh, day we did one in English and the next day we did one in Spanish where we did like a back to school IEP night of tips and, and strategies that the parents can do to start getting ready for the fall. Um, I'm a mentor in the Not Your Average Autism Mom group. And, you know, there's a private sisterhood community within that. And I try to volunteer my time in there as well. And, you know, I do work and, and put my services out there and work with clients, but I am always willing to answer questions and to just, you know, put out information to be of service to the community. I'm, you know, it's like I said, going back to my roots and the way that, you know, I was raised. Um, another thing that you all may or may not have realized when we first connected is that my husband and I started our own um, small 501c3 11 years ago called um, Lawyers Autism Awareness Foundation wow. here in Tampa. That is my husband and a good friend of ours are the attorneys in that. And we do a sensory friendly Santa every oh, year for and the What kids. is the name of the organization again? Lawyers? Lawyers Autism Awareness Foundation. And so we call okay. it LAF, L-A-A-F. <laughs> but those, you know, that's the way that I not only am I working and this is my career and this is what I do for work, but it dovetails with my personal work and with my, you know, community outreach and, and support that I can do for families. You, is there a website for the for for laugh for lack of a better word? Laugh, it's the T H E L A A F dot org. And then um not your average autism mom group is there on on I don't remember the website if it's fully spelled out or not, but they're on Facebook as well. And they it, it's a sisterhood community for moms of kids on the spectrum. And their their nation, their Primarily nationwide, but now we can officially say that it's worldwide as well because there are some members from the UK, even and Canada, and a couple of different countries. Beautiful, that's awesome. Yeah, um, that's great. We and we've had um, we've had Jessica Pate from We Are Brave together, and others that have that have support uh, support organizations for for moms. Um, mm -hmm. I love not your average mom. That's that's. That's not, awesome. your average mom, great, not your yeah. average doctor's mom. We we don't believe that any mom is average anyways. We exactly. always begin with, right? Moms are warriors no matter what they're dealing with. Uh, exactly. Just by the fact that they're moms. But, if, but that just tickled something in my brain and I wanted to make a comment. One of the reasons why I love what you guys are doing and that it's the just two dads is we don't see enough paternal involvement, dad involvement. And we were just having this conversation within the master IEP coach group not long ago is 
that it's not that common to see the dads at the IEP table. It's usually the moms that are the ones that are stepping up and the dads, it's not that they don't care and it's not that they're not available. Sometimes the mom is the stay at home mom and dad is off working, but I love this community that you all are building to be able to raise those voices and, and raise that awareness within the fathers of well, the special you. needs community. Thank you. Yeah. Well, we realized too, you know, culture is, simply, you know, a, a byproduct of a group of people, whether that community is defined by um, uh, race or orientation or whatever the case might be. And the culture of most dads just, I, I, I can't even pretend to know what the reason is. We don't, we aren't usually out in front like that, you know? Right. And so that's um, one of the things that we, you know, why, why we're here. And so um, thank you for that. We appreciate that most Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, we we um, it's funny. I went to I went to quite a few of the IEP meetings that we had for uh, for Jordan. Um, Jordan's mom is a is a lawyer. So she was hardcore. Like this is the first time <laughs> that the word advocacy really meant it really hit home for me. Yeah. Um, and she was she was a bulldog when it came to fighting for the rights for Jordan, make sure Jordan had the support that she needed. And we still brought in an, an advocate to mm -hmm. sit with us as we went through the, me the meetings because to your point, when you're dealing with issues of, you know, of your child and just general life, getting through life, the, the idea of having to read the IDEA Act and having to find those, those details or knowing what the school district can and can't do, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's very overwhelming for, for parents uh, in general. So having an advocate is such a huge thing. For dads, I think, you know, and again, I'm not like what Sean would say, I'm not making excuses for dads. This role of being the mom warrior has always stereotypically been, you know, a mom's role. But what we're finding is that these conversations that they're that dads are just as prominent in the fight, they're just not prominent in in face, right? They're not they're right. not they're not up front front. per right. se. And right. they're you know, they've they've got the battalions behind and you know, <laughs> mom is leading the charge and dads are there. But our hope is that we get more dads into into these conversations and, you know, that, that more fathers, you know, deal with, you know, because, again, we deal with all of our own issues of what it means to have a child on uh, with, with special needs issues, mm -hmm. overcome all of those things and 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 be a fighter and, and be able to have these kinds of conversations. But, you know, you're doing such an uh, amazing work and absolutely and i think sandy you'd probably agree one of the the main things that people should remember especially if they're new to a diagnosis or new to an iep is that when it comes to anything yes you need to you're at a handicap if you don't know what you're entitled to so you mm -hmm. don't know to ask for it but a good rule yeah. of thumb even if you know everything from front to back is to ask because if you don't ask you won't know so for me you know because of you know our financial services business allows me to create my own schedule. So that's the reason why I sat in on most of the IEPs that I'm used to sitting in on the IEP. And if my wife is available, she's present as well on the phone. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's a special accommodation or anything because we've asked for it, for it from the very beginning. And the truth of the matter is I'm sure it shouldn't be just like anything else. If you, if you, if you think you want it, ask for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. The school, when it comes time to schedule those meetings and you're supposed to have a meeting at the very least, if you already have the IEP at the very least once a year to review and update it, but you're entitled to request a meeting at any time throughout the year. Right. So you can have a couple of meetings, three, four meetings in a school year. And when the school reaches out, 
that they send you that meeting notice, you are supposed to be given an opportunity to have, you know, a couple of choices for, for meeting times and dates and times that are convenient for you, where parental involvement is key. The parent is an equal participant and an equal member of that IEP team. Right. And right. you are entitled to participate however you can make it work, whether it's via phone or in person or virtually. But a parent is one of the most, if not the most important member of that IEP team, because this is your child and you know right. what your vision is for, for your child and what your concerns are, your worries are, and what it is that you feel your child needs to prepare them for further education, employment, independent living. Those, those are just, it's, it's a parent's right. And there's certain areas in the IEP where you're entitled to uh, put in a parent input statement so that you could mm -hmm. put that vision out there of what it is that you want the school team to help you with to support your child. And I, I think that we were lucky in that whatever we didn't know, we, we didn't know in our school district was, was accommodating. And so I know, for instance, when we had the first IEP and it was done and they presented it to us and they just told us where we would sign. I don't remember if they let us know that we had time to sign or if I just said, can we, can I take it home and sign? Cause I'm not going to sign it without going over it with my wife in some way, shape right. or form. And so most people don't necessarily know that. And then once you have signed, you can amend it as well. In addition to that, what would you say are probably maybe three of the key points that somebody should know if they're going into their first IEP in terms of rights or things that they might take for granted? So the very first and foremost is what I just mentioned is that parents are an equal participant and your voice needs to be heard at that table. Mm -hmm. The second thing that I would say is when they're drafting the goals, because that's the whole point of the IEP, the way that an IEP works is it's, it's essentially a roadmap for what your child needs help in and how they're going to help them meet those goals and, and what services and supports are they going to provide. So when they're crafting those goals, whether it's your child has a deficit in reading or whether your child has an executive functioning deficit, make sure that you understand the data to support the goals. And if you don't, you're entitled to ask them, break this down for me, explain it to me in a way that I understand and show me whether it's the scores, whether it's data by notes that they've collected over time, just make sure that you ask those questions and that you understand where this is coming from and the, mm -hmm. the why to be able to form those, uh, those goals. And the last part is to make sure that you understand also the services how those services are going to be provided. If your child is struggling, let's say in reading and he's got a goal or two goals for reading, how are, how are they gonna go ahead and provide the service to help them reach those goals? Or is somebody gonna work with him extra time, two times a week for 30 minutes each? Or is it just gonna be 15 minutes a day? What is that gonna look like? Right, right, that's fantastic. Amazing. Yeah. But the, the most important part, again, I can't reiterate that enough, is the parent input, the parent input into an IEP and your voice being heard at that table. Mm -hmm. So let's say somebody's going to reach out to you, whether they're in Florida or they're in another state. 
Mm-hmm. Um, what does the process look like? I reach out to you and I'm like, um, my son's being diagnosed. I'm told we are entitled to an IEP or just learned what that is. Can you help us? How does that work? Do you, for instance, in our business, our primary business of financial services, we're going to do a first appointment, present uh, in order to educate and then do a needs analysis to figure out where they're on target, where they're short, what their goals are, that kind of thing, and then make a recommendation to address the, the, the needs that fit that budget in a second appointment. What is your process like as you sit down with a family? So I always like to, I I offer free consultation to anyone that reaches out to me. And I always like to ask them, just give me what are your top three concerns right now? Because you could sit there and go for hours talking about what your concerns are for your child. But I always like to begin with just what are the top three concerns right now? And where are you in the process? Does your child already have an IEP and we're looking to tweak it and improve it? Or your child is struggling and you just don't know how to ask for help and how to determine whether they even need evaluations to determine eligibility. So that's, I always start with uh, an initial consultation with them. And I don't, I do not charge for that to just kind of get a vibe for what's going on with the family. And Mm -hmm. then I make some recommendations. I let them know whether a, they're on the right track, if they've already had ideas of where they wanted to go with this or B, what it is I think that they may need and or what they should be, you know, channeling their energies towards. And if they decide to to work with me, then usually I just have them send me copies of their documents and I schedule, you know, once I've had an opportunity to just look over everything in depth, like you said, that needs analysis, then I've got mm-hmm. the, the information in front of me. And then we go from there. There are some families that choose to just have me in the background for the coaching mm-hmm. aspect of it. And I just do consultations. I review documents for them and I give them kind of a game plan mm-hmm. and maybe help them craft a letter to the school to make some requests, but they go and do the meetings on their own. But there are other families that figure, you know what, I'm just, I get too emotional when I'm at that table and I want to make sure that I've got somebody in my corner so- and then I'll participate in the meetings with them. So it sounds like what you give is rather customized. Yes, and absolutely. Then, and then if someone meets with you, the consultation is done, you know what's going to be needed going forward. Is it then safe to say that there aren't any surprises in terms of what they're going to be charged because you know what it's going right. to take, what you're going to have to put in. Okay, for those are, that, that are hearing that, I want you to realize what kind of value there really truly is in that. And, and mm-hmm. that really speaks to my heart because of the way that we operate as well. You're going to sit down with somebody, put yourself out there and give them that, which is the only thing that can even compare to the value of a human being on this planet. And that is time, right? You're never going to be as young as we we were when this conversation began. And you're (laughs) going to give yours to give them information and even maybe a recommendation. That means if a person walks away and simply is empowered with that and goes to their IEP with what you've empowered them with, the value that they've, that they've gotten there is already immeasurable. To say nothing of them, what takes place if you're going to sit down and give them what is important to them as opposed to here's what everybody should have for an IEP. That's, that's just, that's great. Because there's just, there's no two students that are alike. I mean, the three of us have kiddos that are autistic and they're none of the three of them were alike and none of their needs were alike. So no two IEPs are alike. And 
so I, I always try to, to begin with, when I work with a family, that child is like my child at that IEP table, because I was that mom at one point. Right. And I will always look out for my families and for my students and, and my kids as if they were my own child. And I would, and this is, I want what is best for them and what makes sense and what they genuinely need. Mm -hmm. And so you can't, that's not, that's not, you know, cookie cutter. Right. Because your diagnosis, even though in, in, in Brian's case, Jordan's diagnosis wasn't, wasn't autism, but oh, right. your, your, you know, I, I think lots of times, depending on somebody's battle too, even within autism alone, you're just mm -hmm. so focused on these are our shoes and this is what we're dealing with. But I think it's, it's, it's fair to say that the families that you deal with uh, have a variety of diagnoses. Is that, Absolutely. is that safe to say? And then the next question is, is there one that you find yourself faced with more so than the other? Autism seems to be a pretty prevalent one, but honestly, I have families from with kiddos from all walks of life and with varying degrees of um, of need. Um, everything from Down syndrome to cerebral palsy to you know intense medical needs to kids that are hospital homebound mm -hmm. to kids that have autism to dyslexia. I mean, you name it. It's it's right. a, a wide yeah. variety. Yeah, that's why we appreciate the time here today as well too because. You know, every now and then I find myself, I take for granted that people think that because autism is so prevalent too, that that's what things are limited to. But the truth of the matter is for Brian and I, we've had the definition of special needs change that it has been redefined as a result of doing this show. That's why we've mm -hmm. talked about, you know, mental health and all the, all, all these different things and, you know, mm -hmm. and being a member of that community by way of a, a, a catastrophic accident, whatever the case might be. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the differently abled community is so vast and so wide and that, good. yeah, absolutely. And as we age, as we age, if we live a long, healthy life, we're going to be right. a member of that community no matter what. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, this is and awesome. That, and I, and I, yes, I was going to say that the one thing yeah. that we didn't touch on too, too much is that there's also within the school district, the 504 plans, which is. So there's IEPs and there's 504 plans. 504 plans are, are simpler and mm -hmm. it's just accommodations and supports. And that's also kind of protected under Americans with Disabilities Act. Mm -hmm. And so there you can have a student that has anxiety, a student that has asthma, a student that has, you know, ADHD, that, but something that any kind of an official medical diagnosis where mm -hmm. they need something to help them access their school environment. So if they need more frequent breaks, if they need extra time for tests, if they need um, uh, textbooks and larger print. Or whatever, right. Exactly. And so you exactly. can have a 504 plan and, and an IAP together. And, or No, it's one or the other. One or the other. But okay. it, it depends on the, the IEP also has those accommodations folded in. The difference between the two is that the IEP, in addition to all those services or all those mm -hmm. accommodations and supports, the IEP also provides a service. Gotcha. So somebody is actually teaching your child, working with your child, providing mm -hmm. them a service, a therapy, teaching a skill. Right. Well, as usual, the hour has grown not only wings, but Flies engines by. and just yeah. flown by. And as we come to the end of it, I'm going to ask you a question that we generally will ask of each of our guests. 
which is, uh, and, and the reason we asked the question is because change and evolution is important um, now more than ever. Um, mm -hmm. The ability to see something from another person's perspective and be open to new things and learn and grow. So if you can give us one example of a thought or belief that you've held, not just simply held dearly, but you know it to be as true as you are alive, um, that has since become something that you no longer believe to be true? So the best thing that I could equate that to would be, I knew what I wanted to be in life. I knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. I wanted to be a journalist and I knew where I was going. I knew where my life was headed. <laughs> and what I've come to the conclusion is after 31 years of marriage, after two kids, after autism, after, you know, different sidesteps that life throws in your way. I've got a little saying that my sister and I joke around about that. We just need to put this on like t-shirts and bumper stickers. Life is all about plan B. <laughs> that is the, the consensus that I have come to yeah. because you spin your wheels on plan A and that you know this to be true and this is what's going to happen. And, you know, all it takes is just that one little thread to just totally unravel the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. But I also know this to be true and this has been tested time and again, and it will not shake me is that we are able to overcome. We're able to overcome that, which we set our minds to. I love that. I love that. Yep. Men plans and God laughs. Is that what exactly means? <laughs> right? Basically. Yeah. Well, as we as we wind down, Sandy has been a, a fast as I knew it would be a, an engaging oh, conversation. You. And yeah, so so amazing. So glad to have you on. We we've posted your website up. It'll be on the, in the comment section of all of our. Yeah, we want people to be able to reach out to you and engage you and hopefully um, create a you know broad opportunity. Also, we want people to know about your nonprofit organization, if there's anything that you need or we can help to, to promote, you know, you'll let us know. We'll put those in the comments as well. So people can, can, um, can reach out to you because uh, we're, we're, we're you're welcome. We're fans of those who are warriors who've taken their personal situation and, and gone outwards and served those in our community and um, so such needed. So thank you again. Yeah. Um, really thank you for being here. And as we wrap up this, uh, this episode, I, I'll say what I always say. First of all, I want to thank Sean Hall, who's our producer, who's in our, who's in Hawaii, who manages our, our chats and, and, and everything that we do here. So thank you, Sean Hall. We appreciate you and love you. And, um, and uh, Sean, I appreciate you as always. And now more than ever, you know, empathy and love is what is so needed, no matter where, what the circumstance is, if there's something that we don't understand. Empathy and love is all that's all that's called for. So with that, I'm going to throw it off to uh, Shonda to, to close this out and um, give Sandy a sign off there. So thank you again, Sandy, for joining us. Absolutely amazing conversation. Thank you, gentlemen, so much. I have so thoroughly enjoyed this last hour, and I look forward to continuing to connect with you guys in the future. As do we. As do we. This is the best example of how they say that coincidences are uh, God's way of remaining anonymous. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I like that. With that said, I want to thank um, our listeners in the U.S. Virgin Islands, my family down there. I want to thank everyone that tuned in on the various platforms and outlets. And I, of course, as always, want to thank the women, um, the primary women in my life, without whom I couldn't begin to 
try to be who I hope to strive to try to be. <laughs> <laughs> and that would be uh, my amazing wife, Laura, and my mom, Jan. And um, thank you guys so much. And remember, again, like we said, there's less of a definition of special needs. There's only needs. Everyone has the same need. Everyone needs to know that they're that they're loved, that they're seen, that they're heard, that they're mattered, and that you know um, somebody out there needs to know uh, that you care. And if you happen to be somebody out there who feels like nobody does care, go ahead, raise your hand and speak up um, so that somebody has a chance to try and be there for you. Thank you so much. And if you're watching, listening, wherever you are, we love you. We love you. Sandy, don't sign Thank off you. yet. Thank you, everybody.